Hey, welcome to New River Church's podcast. We're really glad you decided to join us today, and we hope that today's message encourages you and lifts you up. If you're looking for some more information about New River Church, just check us out at newriverchurch.org. Even though the Christmas story is a story that I've heard many times throughout my life, I'm convinced that God can still speak to me through this story in a fresh way. And there's fresh manna if I'm willing to take the time to sit still and listen. So I like to ask that question, like, what's God talking to you about through the Christmas story? And this year, I've noticed a theme. A number of people have said that um, it's not necessarily been uh, a scripture text per se, but it's been a Christmas carol that God has used a line from a Christmas carol, which, you know, many of the Christmas carols are taken right from Scripture, so, you know, no, no there's no surprise there. But, they've, but the God has used a line from a Christmas carol to speak to them, and, and it's cool when God does There's a real kind of common theme I see, and even last Sunday, uh, when Audrey brought the word to us, which she did an awesome job, I felt, that, like she felt the Lord, yeah, using, uh, leading her to use this, line from O Holy Night uh, as the, basically the subtext for her message last Sunday, The Weary World Rejoices. And if you've not had the chance to hear that message, I would encourage you very much to go look, look it up on one of our many different platforms because it's really well worth the listen. But in keeping with that same theme this morning, uh, the title for this morning's message is Comfort and Joy, coming from another Christmas carol. Um, maybe you've heard about it. Maybe you've, does it ring any bells in your soul? Comfort and joy. Uh, for me, this line has just been repeating itself like over and over and over in my mind this Christmas. Has that ever happened to you? Do you get a line from a song that just sticks in your head and it just doesn't go away? That's been this song, old tidings of comfort and joy, comfort and joy, old tidings of comfort and joy. I wonder what God is saying with it. It's a line that comes from the hymn, God Rest Ye Merry Gentlemen. And here's the first verse. Just listen to this first verse. These words are just amazing. You know, these, these guys, these old guys, they knew how to write. You know what I mean? Like these guys. You know, there's no she-bop, doo-wop, ski-bop, baby-baby in these. Like, there's, it, like these just... <laughs> Just listen to his use of language. Amazing. God rest ye merry gentlemen. Let nothing you dismay. Remember, Christ our Savior was born on Christmas Day to save us all from Satan's power when we had gone astray. Old tidings of comfort and joy. Comfort and joy. Old tidings of comfort and joy. Mm, that's good stuff. I mean, I would encourage you to read the rest of the song. It's amazing. Every verse is amazing. So rich, so rich. Comfort and joy. We don't see a lot of that sprinkled through our world, do we? Um, so what is this? Like this song, what are these lyrics? What's behind it? Is it escapism? Is it wishful thinking? Because there's one thing for sure, like, Comfort and joy is not our reality very often. Last Sunday, I spent most of the afternoon with a grieving family whose wife, mother, grandmother 
surrogate grandmother had died suddenly. And as her corpse lay cold and still on the living room floor, the family wept, cried, wailed. In their words, their queen had gone. They called her the queen. This woman who had loved her family so well through the years with her fried chicken and her homespun advice, she was now gone in a heartbeat, literally. And the gaping hole in her absence was just beginning to be felt in that family. Comfort and joy. Yesterday morning, 6 o'clock, fire call. Another elderly couple, their home on fire yesterday morning. I'm thinking, comfort and joy? Like they're out of a home right now. Karis will tell you that I've struggled this Christmas a lot to find comfort and joy. Maybe that's the reason why God has had this line in my heart resonating. Because this is the first year in 30 years that none of our children are home to share the holiday with us, right? And I feel the loss in my soul. Like there's a big hole down here and I feel it profoundly. It doesn't mean that I, I've stopped loving Jesus. I love Jesus, you know. It doesn't mean that I love my wife any less. She's still the most precious thing to me. I just feel the loss, you know. And maybe this Christmas is weird for you too. Maybe you're feeling it. Something's changed. Some, someone is missing maybe, and there's a hole in your holiday. So can we find comfort and joy? Comfort and joy, old tidings of comfort and joy. Can we do that without falling into the trap of sappy sentimentalism and sticking our heads in the sand and ignoring the pain and pretending like everything is all well when it's really not? Like, can we, can we honestly experience comfort and joy in the face of sorrow? Can I fully embrace the reality of Christmas and the Christmas message that says God has come? God has come. Jesus is Emmanuel. God with us. And in 2022, God is with us still. Amen? In all of our celebration of Christmas, we often overlook the very painful circumstances in which Jesus was born. The Jews were under Roman domination, not just Roman rule, Roman domination. Foot on the neck, pressed under the thumb. Roman domination. Caesar Augustus had ushered in what's called Pax Romana, Roman peace, but it's not peace like you think. It's peace if you agreed with the Romans, but if you disagreed with the Romans in any way, shape, or form, well, it meant you were silenced, you were imprisoned, and probably put to death. Pax Romana was like the ultimate cancel culture. So there was peace on the surface, but just under the surface, people languished and they wasted away. Between taxes to Rome, taxes to the temple, taxes to local governing authorities, these peasants were paying upwards or more of 70% of their income in taxes. Add to that a year that might have had bad weather and poor crops as a result, and it didn't take much before these people became destitute. And it was into this world, into this broken, overtaxed, 
brutally oppressed world, this was the, quote, fullness of time that Galatians 4 talks about. The fullness of time in which God saw fit to send his son born under the law, it says. This is in itself, if you think about it, a great message of hope. Because God doesn't wait for us to come into a good time before he enters it. God doesn't wait for us to get our act together before he steps into our world. He finds us in our messiest. He enters into our worst. And he brings comfort and joy. It's Christmas, so we can't uh, really do this day right unless we read from Luke chapter 2. So turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 2. I'm going to read verses 1 through 20. And actually, last night we lit all five of the, of the Advent candles, but this morning I was wondering if somebody would just light these uh, for me while we read. Go ahead, Steve. You can do this. I'll let you do it. Just don't burn the house down, buddy. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> Thank you. You light. I'll read. Okay? We're going to read from Luke chapter 2. Thank you. Can you do this? I think so. <laughs> Any day now. There we go. Just wondering. Well, you said you're going to read. Like, I, <laughs> well, oh, you want me to be more dramatic with this? Okay. I'll try to be dramatic. Go ahead, Steve. <laughs> yeah. I'm just trying to have some fun. It's Christmas. We're allowed to have fun, right? Oh, wait. I'm allowed that one last. That's the last one. That is called, here's a little trivia question. Anybody know what that last candle's called? The Christ candle. Look at you Catholics. You're great. Glad you could be with us this morning. That's really special. Yeah, the Christ candle. Thank you, Steve. Big hand for Steve. He did a great job there. Steve, while you're standing up, I'm going to ask everyone else to stand up as well while we read Luke 2. Can we just read out of, you know, stand in respect for God's word? Uh, and just let's just read this together. And I've actually chosen this morning to read it from the New King James Version just because, uh, again, the wording is pretty cool. So, and it came to pass... In those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered, this census first took place while Quirinius was governing Syria. All who went, so all went to be registered, everyone to his own city. Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and the lineage of David to be registered with Mary, his betrothed wife who was with child. So it was that while they were there, the days were completed for her to be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Now, there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. Then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You'll find a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. So it was, 
when the angels had gone away from them into heaven, that the shepherds said to one another, let us now go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has come to pass, which the Lord has made known to us. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. Now, when they had seen him, they made widely known the saying which was told them concerning this child. And all those who heard it marveled at those things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary kept them all in her heart and pondered them. Then the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told them. The word of God. You can be seated. Thank you for standing for that. Sometimes it's important to, I think, just stand out of respect, you know, for God's word. So what's going on here? There's a lot of fun material in here that we could focus on, but this morning I just want to focus on the proclamation that the angels made to the shepherds, verses 10 through 12. Um, there are six little points, and I promise six is not as long as you think it is, but six short little points in this proclamation given by these angels to these terrified and surprised shepherds on the hillside that night. Point number one is this, do not be afraid. It's the first thing they said, didn't they? Don't be afraid. This is the most frequently repeated command in the whole Bible. Do not be afraid. John Bevere says, he's an author, says we were created to fear God, and in fearing God, we would fear nothing else. One of the first things Adam and Eve felt after they sinned was fear. They didn't run to God, they ran from God. Fear is not native to your DNA. You know that? It's not how God wired you. Dallas Willard is an author. He's with the Lord now. But he says the opposite of love is not hate, as many people presume, but fear. I think he's on to something. Because fear is that thing. It's that voice telling you to hide. It's that voice telling you to pull back, telling you to be selfish, telling you you don't, you don't have what it takes to give that away. You, you need to keep this for yourself. Fear is that thing that says be guarded. So the angel opens his sermon with the age-old, often-repeated command, do not be afraid. Why? Point number two, I bring you great tidings. I've got good news. The Greek word is euangelon. We just finished our study in the Gospel of Mark a couple of weeks ago. Do you remember what the word gospel means? It's the word gospel, Yangelon, great tidings. It means literally good news that changes everything. And this angel's bringing good news that changes everything. In literature or in music, and this is what's technically called the hook. It's that statement that's designed to get your audience's attention, to make them perk up, to make them Listen to what you're about to say, and who doesn't like to hear good news, right? I want some good news. And the angel says, don't be afraid. I got good news. Really, what is that? Point number three, I've got good news of great joy that will be for all the people, all people. If good news is just for some people, if good news is just for special people, if it's only for nice people, for select people, for church people, for famous people, then it's not really something to be happy about, is it? 
This is good news, the angel says, for all people, which means that it's something to be happy about. It can cause great joy. So it's for all people, for depressed people, for broken people, addicted people, happy people, sad people, all people. The word in Greek that's translated great joy, the angel says I have great joy, is the word mega, and I like that. Mega joy? Who doesn't want mega joy? Don't you? I'll take mega joy any day. And now we come to the news that the angel has come to bring. The news is point four. There is born to you this day a Savior, Christ the Lord. A Savior has been born, born. I thought Saviors just happened, don't they? You know, like somebody's drowning in a pool and an innocent bystander, he's drying off and he sees the trouble and jumps in and saves the day. That guy wasn't born to do that, was he? He just did it. That's kind of my impression of how saviors operate. Saviors are just more about like in the moment, called up and something overtakes them. But no, this savior is born, meaning it's, it's a plan. It's part of a plan, meaning, meaning that God is seeing something that you have and that I have, and he's working to meet it. He's a savior that has been born, a savior. Did you even know that you needed saving? Some days you probably feel it more than others. I'm guessing that some of us woke up this morning to a tree full of presents, so you probably haven't thought much about your need to be saved. Um, For you, life is good. You have plenty. You're healthy, wealthy, wise, all is well. So saving isn't really something you think about very often. But others, maybe this morning you woke up to nothing. You woke up to an empty house. You woke up to more bad news from the doctors. You woke up to another bill you can't pay. You might feel the need for saving, perhaps more than someone else. But if you think about it, even in these, as difficult as they are, these problems, they don't necessarily represent our greatest need. You see, wealth and riches and health, they have a way of masking the need. But honestly, so do trials and troubles. If you think about it, we can stumble over pain as easily as we can stumble over pleasure. Some people are so wrapped up in their troubles, and all they want is the troubles to be taken away. And God could take the troubles away and still not solve the deepest problem. And he came to save the deepest problem, see? So pain has a way of hardening our soul. Pleasures have a way of numbing our soul. They're both deadly. Christ came to save. In 1989, Charles Sell, he wrote these words that I've seen on Christmas cards, and perhaps you have too. But the poem goes like this. If our greatest need had been information, God would have sent us an educator. If our greatest need had been technology, God would have sent us a scientist. If our greatest need had been money, God would have sent us an economist. If our greatest need had been pleasure, God would have sent us an entertainer. But our greatest need was forgiveness. So God sent us a savior. You see, sin is what got us into this mess. 
we often want God to just remove the mess. And that would be great. But God, that would not then address the root cause of our problem. Jesus came to deal with the root sin. We needed a savior because we needed to be forgiven. We needed to be forgiven because we've all sinned against God. None of us is perfect. That's point four, point five. This will be a sign to you. You say, well, how can I find this forgiveness? Where am I going to get it? The angel says, let me give you a sign. I'm going to show you where you can find this Savior. The next thing the angel does is he points them to the Savior. Follow this sign. It'll take you there. If you think about it, good news is not really good news if it's hidden. It's not good news if it's unavailable. It's not good news if it comes too late. Like, that's not good news. So the angel gives them directions. And I love that. You know, the tragedy on earth, the greatest tragedy on earth, is for someone to die and not know that they can be forgiven and made right with God. And there will be hell to pay for the church who has this message and doesn't tell the world where they can find it. The angel says, there's a Savior. I've got good news. There he is. Point number six. You will find a babe he says, I chose to read the New King James Version this morning just for that word, babe. I kind of thought it was cool. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. Classic, right? Classic line. God became a babe. A babe. A babe is accessible, vulnerable, available. I mean, this means that he could belong to any of us, Right? He could belong to you. He could belong to me. God's come into this place where we live, like this world where there are wars and warlords and dictators and despots and demagogues. He's come into this space where we operate, this space where there's bills and sick kids and dying parents and bad bosses and terrible teachers and crappy coaches and crooked politicians. This space, Jesus came into it. He's come as a babe, and you can have him. And I can have them too. A babe. I love the fact that God's love for us is not a theory. God doesn't just have love for us that's a warm feeling in his heart, but that his love is actually practical. It's personal. It's tangible. You can touch it, feel it, see it, know it, hold it. A babe. Isn't that something? God doesn't just stay in heaven and say, you know, I really have strong feelings for you people. No, he, he came. For God so loved the world, he gave his one and only son. He came as a babe. And this, the angel says, is good news of great joy for all people. So let's just close with where we began a moment ago. How do I move then from fear to joy? How do I experience comfort and joy in the face of sorrow? First, it's got to be said that joy is not merely an emotion. It's not a feeling. That joy is an inner condition of the soul. Joy is unshakable contentment. You know, happiness depends on what happens. Joy is rooted in something much deeper. In 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 10, the Apostle Paul said that he was sorrowful yet rejoicing. Isn't that crazy? I'm sorrowful, yet I'm rejoicing. James chapter 1, verse 2 says, Consider it pure joy when you face trials. What kind of craziness is that? 
Philippians chapter 4, verse 4, rejoice in the Lord always, he says. And he repeats himself. Again, I'll say it. Rejoice. Rejoice. Always facing trials. Sorrowful. You see, joy is not something I feel. Not at all. Joy is what I choose. That's literally what the word rejoice means. The word rejoice means to joy in God. Henri Nouwen says this, that joy does not happen to us, we choose it. A more modern philosopher, Bono, perhaps you've heard of him, he says that joy is an act of defiance. I like that quote. Joy looks squarely into the face of the enemy, and he says, I see you, but I will not let you steal the peace that's in my soul. I will not let you do it. I see you. I acknowledge you. I'm not denying your presence, sorrow, pain, suffering. I'm not denying the presence of it. It hurts. I get that. But I will not let you steal the joy in my soul. I will not. See, it's a determination because I've anchored my life to the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, that God came to earth as a babe, as one that I could actually hitch my wagon to and know that with him, regardless of what else is happening, I can have joy. Like those shepherds on Christmas night, they're living under oppression. They're given a reason to rejoice. The angel, you know, these are, these are poor shepherds. And the angels say, you've got every reason to have joy in your hearts. Why? Because there's a babe in a manger, and he's come for us, and he's not against us. So your ability to experience joy in the face of trials is actually one of the clearest evidences of your conversion from death to life. It's also one of the best ways for you to pull through a difficult time. Martin Luther said, the devil cannot stand gaiety. <laughs> Graham Kendrick says, your ability to rest in the face of trouble is a spiritual weapon that defeats the devil. See? So how do I do this? Philippians chapter 4 and this, I will close with this. Philippians 4, verses 4 through 9. Paul says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I'll say it, rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds through Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers... Whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there's any virtue and if there's anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things, the things which you learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do, and the God of peace will be with you. I love that last verse there in verse 9, the Apostle Paul is telling these Philippian Christians, if you, you see it in me, so just do what I do. Just do what I do. And by the way, Paul is the one, remember I said earlier, though, suffer, though sorrowful, rejoicing, Paul wrote those words. So Paul is the man who knows what it is to sorrow and rejoice at the same time. And he says to his Philippian friends, um, just watch me do it. You do what I do and you'll catch this. So what does he do? Well, number one, give thanks. It's the first thing he says to do. Sometimes it's easier to give thanks than others, isn't it? True. 
But have you ever noticed that when it's hard to give thanks, like that's when it means the most? Have you ever experienced that? You know, um, it's actually one of the things that is helping to pull me out of my funk this Christmas. I'm writing in my journal all the things I'm thankful for. And God has been so good to me. I'm such a goober for even feeling the way that I have to be truthful. When I, when I look at the list of all the things that God has blessed me with, right? Man, he's been so good. So give thanks. The second thing he says is draw near to the peace of God. Draw near. Gratitude is a posture before it's a practice. It's a posture before it's a practice. It's a posture of humility before God. He is good. He, he is the epitome of joy. He is the most joyful being in the universe. God is. So you can almost measure your closeness with God by the level of joy you experience. The closer I am in relationship with him, the more joy I have. The farther I am in relationship, the less joy that I have. Because he is joy. Joy itself. If you're fussy, unsettled, grouchy, you got to get quiet. You got to settle down. You got to reconnect with God. And his joy will rub off on you, and you will find it again. The third thing is to redirect your thinking. It's the last one. Whatever things are noble, you see that long list? Whatever things are noble, just, pure, etc. He says, think on those things. How do I renew my mind? How do I practice what scientists call neuroplasticity? How do I practice that? I redirect my thinking away from negativity and towards whatever is noble, just, pure, lovely, etc., Here's one thing I know. Everything in the culture is working to steal my joy. I know that. And guarding my heart is one of the most important things I can do on a daily basis. And I know that love, joy, lovely, pure, good report, virtue, praiseworthy, all those things, I know I don't see those on CNN. I just don't nor do I see them on my social feed. You don't. So, so I need to turn from those, and I need to turn my attention instead to the heart of God. And sometimes choosing joy is a stubborn determination to not allow the present circumstances to plunder my soul. And when I do comfort and joy, I discover that I don't have to choose. It's not comfort or joy. It's comfort and joy. The God of the universe can comfort me with his presence and he can fill my heart with joy in the face of trying circumstances. Amen. I believe that that, my friend, is what the Lord wants to give to you this morning, the secret. Christmas is not, you know, I hate it and I know you do too, the, the warm and fuzzy commercialism and the Hallmark movies and the you know, kiss on Christmas Eve with the sun, the, the snowflakes coming down, all that stuff, right? It's none of that, isn't it? That's sappy. That's fake. But I can tell you this, the God that we serve is real. How do I know? He became a babe in a manger. He broke through time and space. And he's not just God with us 2,000 years ago. He's God with us still today. And I can anchor my soul to him, my friend. Let's pray. Thanks for listening today. If you'd like more encouragement or information about New River Church, check us out 
at newriverchurch.org.